Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. As many of you know, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Did Jesus Police? We have been looking in Bible stories uh, throughout the Bible, Old and New Testaments, uh, looking at how we might seek guidance or an imagination of God for how we handle police brutality and with that, prison, military, all that stuff. Uh, you might remember that we've had some amazing community interviews. If you've watched these community interviews or benefited from them, just put an exclamation point in the comments. I think they've been really, really good. I've been very impressed. Special shout out to Heidi who helped to coordinate all of that and to all the community members who conducted the interviews. Um, and this past Wednesday, we had a very special interview with Aluchi, who is an organizer from the Black uh, Visions Collective. And uh, I was just really moved by how many common threads uh, the Black Visions Collective is trying to implement and see forth in the world and kind of what has been put on the theological imagination of New City Church. And uh, we're, today we're going to look at a couple of uh, clips from that interview from Malucci today. But I really wanted to start out with this text from Exodus because it shows a very important moment, especially um, in the Old Testament, a very important moment. Because in this reading, this is like the precursor to um, the Ten Commandments, by the way, fun fact. Um, this scripture is the first scripture where God speaks so much about herself. God like reveals or discloses not only her activity and what she does, but her nature, her character. And I think that there's a really interesting... Um, uh, like healthy parenting style <laughs> that God reveals in the Old Testament here? Because what do we read? Uh, we read that, first of all, that God is amazingly abundant and warm and uh, deeply loving and committed and faithful. God is like the ideal attachment figure. In fact, if you might remember from a, like many sermons ago, it's not that God is like the attachment it's not that God is like the ideal attachment figure. It's that God is the ideal attachment figure. <laughs> like God is like the ideal relationship to establishing uh, that solidity in your life, that confidence that you are loved in your life. Parents can channel the love of God and instill that or, or caregivers or consistent adults who are in children's lives. But I really believe that human beings were made to love God, made to rely on God. And so our attachment towards God is like one of the key parts of our psyche. Yeah, are you picking up what I'm throwing down? I think that uh, this is the whole reason why John puts so much emphasis on the word believe. Believe in the Father. Not saying that you have to... Uh, recite a creed every time that you go to bed, but rather every time you go to bed, you need to believe that you are beloved and that God loves you. And through that love, you can love other people. So here in this uh, book of Exodus is the first time we, that we really see a disclosure from the perspective of God talking about this. But then there's that other part that it, 
isn't as easily embroidered onto pillows, but talks about like, I'm not just going to clear away the guilty. I'm not just gonna pick up after, after people make bad decisions. I kind of imagine this as the same motivation as like a parent who is looking at a teenager who just is like leaving all the dirty plates there and then walking away and it's like, hey, newsflash, I'm not gonna pick that up for you. Not because I can't pick that up, I can't pick it up for you, but because your development as a human being will never achieve wholeness unless you see the responsibility and connection that you have for the things that you're doing. You will never understand that you are a fully agential human being who has power in this world and is responsible for relationships until you start cleaning up after yourself. And so we see God saying, like, we're not going to just, I'm not just going to clear away the guilty, and I'm not going to just, like, let things slide once someone dies. Like, if someone uh, does something that's really, really problematic, that's going to live on generations until someone does something about it. And I know that, like, our American sensibility is, like, clutching our pearls right now, like, like, what do you mean someone's sins lives on generationally? Like, we're all Americans. We can pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We're only held accountable for our own activity at most, right? Like, that's kind of the national story. And God is like, that's not how human beings were built. If there is sin, if evil happens, that carries generationally until someone does something about it. And actually, America, there are many sins of our forefathers that we are reckoning with. <laughs> we are like 400 years into sins of our forefathers in terms of the invention of whiteness, the enslavement of Africans, the genocide of indigenous people, the extreme fear of outsiders. The list goes on. Uh, capitalism driving into our relationship with the earth that eventually drove climate change. Like. God's like, I'm not just going to pick up those dirty dishes for you because until you realize that you have responsibility, then you're never going to, to step into your full humanity. I think it's so funny because we always talk about, you know, self-care and wholeness and, and the gentle tender kindness of God, and all of that is absolutely true. And sometimes what kindness looks like from God is allowing us to experience the consequences of our actions. Sometimes kindness is saying, like, you aren't going to feel free until you handle some of this stuff. And I feel like God is talking to the soul of America right now, saying, you aren't going to fully develop as a whole society. America, you're not going to become beloved community until you reckon with some of the fit, the sins of our forefathers. And so here we are, seeing these uh, outbreaks and uprisings and conversations and imaginations of, like, maybe it is time that we handle the generational curse of white supremacy, of racism, of the empire, the powers of domination. And so that's why uh, we're talking about the sins of our forefathers specifically for this police brutality sermon series, because the police in the United States is 
a manifestation of a belief that retribution is ultimately what will change people, that through punishment, uh, we will be able to achieve a, a better society. And I think that the imagination of God is like, yeah, that works, except I am a God who is infinitely kind and infinitely gracious and infinitely faithful. And human beings' job is to emulate God. And so if we create a system wherein we cannot emulate God's mercy and love and transformation, then we're always going to be living back into the sins of our forefathers. So that's and for mothers and for parents. Let's let's be a hundred here, right? Like like there the there is many gendered participation in the sins that we are inheriting. Um, and so I want to hear a little bit from Aluchi from this conversation that we had on Wednesday to hear about some of the themes of how we might create an, uh, a theology of transformative justice. So let's listen in. Um, and one thing I also really want to bring up is um, towards something, towards what, right? So we call for like a defunding of the police or abolition of the police. It's like, what's going to replace that? And I don't think that as a system, so a lot of folks bring up healing justice and transformative justice. As an organization, um, Black Visions is rooted in centering transformative justice. And for me, what that means is that I think that no one is disposable. It's a very hard concept to actually um, practice. It's a very hard, it's a very hard, it's a very easy concept to theorize, right? It's like, yes, everyone has humanity. We can us like folks that are Christian, Muslim, whatever, whatever your denomination is, like people know that people are inherently valuable, inherently have worth, right? But in practice, that's very hard. In practice, that is very hard because that is saying that people who are oppressing me have inherent worth. And I have to then move and shape myself in that in that framework, right? And that might look different for different levels of harm or whatever. But the baseline um, theory of transformative justice is that no one is disposable. Right, so what does that then look like when we're then holding people accountable? Because right now, in the systems that we, we live under right now, it's about retribution and it's about punishment. So if you, if you commit harm or if you commit violence, then you are, you are punished or you're retributed, meaning that you're taking something away to like then squelch the harm that's happening, right? And what transformative justice looks at, it's there's a harm that happened, there's someone who committed harm, and then there was um, someone who had harm inflicted on them. And then there's also this um, situation, which is why the reason why this harm happened in the first place, right? So when we look at transformative justice, it's not just addressing the harm that happened in the moment, but it's also um, asking questions and assessing why that harm is continuing to happen and preventing that harm from happening um, afterwards, right? Amazing, right? <laughs> Relevant content. And then there's this really interesting part about generational healing and what activists have to do, which really seems resonant with the, the Exodus reading that we are engaging in today. And I bring up the parallels, not because I have this posture of like, well, see what you're talking about is Jesus. <laughs> I bring it up because it's like, doesn't it seem like the spirit is moving if the imagination of many different disciplines is trying to draw people towards this theme of healing and reconciliation and love that we read about in the Bible. Like, is that not an indication 
that the Holy Spirit is among us and moving and asking us to get on the move with her. So let's listen. If we look at intergenerational trauma, like that's what that comes up for me too, is that like regardless of like that person's specific encounter with the system, though that person's ancestors have had specific encounters with that system. So what does it actually look like to heal trauma on an intergenerational level, which is different than on a generational level, right? Um, like this is for like at least, and like it's more than that, but like since the inception of this United States government or the United States, right? Over 400 years of trauma, of violence, of harm, right? So like, how are we actually taking the time to do that? And like, I'm, I think it was Adrian Marie Brown uh, said this one to me one time. It's like, it took us 400 years to get to this point. Um, so to get to even square zero is going to take us 400 years. So like, we're invested in this, not just for the year or two that it's going to take, or the 10 years or the 15 years that it's going to take to like, completely abolish the police but we're in this for a very 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 long time because the systems that we've been conditioned to are ingrained in our dna at this point so like what does it take to like take the time to like actually undo those systems right so first of all we have this vision around transformational justice that involves i mean in not so many words like inward and outward transformation which is something that we talk a lot about at new city let's hear what aluchi has to say was I had a counselor tell me one time, you can't heal from trauma when you're still living in the chaos. So can you talk a little bit, uh, maybe some thoughts on communities who are trying to heal, but yet are living in this perpetual state of, of trauma after trauma? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, for me, when I think of like the road to liberation and how I want to see um, liberation, it's like, it's three things. And I want to give a quick plug to uh, one of, another one of my movement homes. It's Momentum, which is like a training organization that talks about how do we actually uh, create um, like life-changing and liberatory uh, movements. Um, is We talk about it in three different frameworks, right? It's around, uh, the first is dismantling systems of oppression. So that's like calling for the defunding of police. That's um, calling for the, the abolition of capitalism, the abolition of white supremacy, all of these things, right? And then the second thing is alternatives, right? So what are the alternatives that we're using in place of the systems that we have right now? So that's like transformative justice, that's talking to your neighbors, that's going to therapy, all of these things, right? Like collective transformation. What are the, what are the ways that we're um, replacing the frameworks that we have right now? And then the last piece that I think is very important that people don't really talk about is this idea of personal transformation. Because even if tomorrow we got a book with all the answers that was sent from somewhere that said, okay, y'all can't, like, you shouldn't have police, you should have this instead, you should have this instead. This is like the, the guidebook for like how to create a society where everyone has inherent worth and that is shown. If, if we don't change as people, then those systems are just going to be recreated. So like, what does it then look like for us to actually have collective transformation I mean, that starts with like us, right? So like we have to have transformation before we can actually transform others. So what does that look like? That looks like collective study. That looks like um, therapy, right? Um, all of these things um, that make us collectively heal. And then going from a micro level to a macro level, right? Um, I put very little faith in national politics. Um, and that's because national politics has to follow what statewide politics do at the end of the day, right? So it's like, I'm building with my localities first rather than um, building on like a global level because we can't do that, right? 
Um, so like, how are the, like, what are the conversations that we're having with our intimate partners, with our relationships, with our families, with our people that live down the block from each other, right? Um, to then then spread to the citywide, to the statewide, to this nationwide level. And then lastly, we had a, a question around what Aluchi is imagination for the church in this current present time is like, what should a church be up to in 2020? And it's a read. So let's hear. Uh, I do have a couple of hopefully fun questions. Oh, I love this question that the New City Church put out. Yes, what, what that is. What role do you wish the church could have in the current movement? I wish churches that are progressive would push churches that are not progressive to be more progressive. Um, I think that that's a very hard thing to do. And it's very deep, especially like if you live at different intersections, like especially as queer and trans folks who are in churches, all of these things, it could be very, very like, very hard to do that, especially like understanding and knowing like a lot of trauma comes from churches um, for some folks as well. But like um, for people who are in places of privilege in church, is really like, how are we actually pushing those who are at the center or even like leaning more, like leaning towards us, but not like there yet? How are we pushing them further to the left? And I think that's everyone's job. That's everyone's job, regardless of like, if you're a community organizer, if you're a healer, if you're a church, right? How are you pushing our folks towards the pathway to our liberation and towards a community that we can all see and, and buy into? So that's what I wish that churches would do, like especially progressive churches like your own. Is like, how do we like hosting conversations with folks who are like maybe there, but not there yet. And like really like rooting it in um, a liberatory conversation and bringing those who like are doing really dope work are based in community-based organizing and also are at churches. So folks like Lena Gardner and like really pushing conversations more to the left. I'm really, really grateful for that response. I think um, one of the themes throughout the conversation is relational organizing. Like, how do you be part of the movement? Look at the people who are around you and start there, right? <laughs> and I think that uh, that uh, Aluchi, they said that about um, young parents, like, hey, just talk to the kids, uh, parents that your kid is playing with, you know, like, like relational organizing starts a one by one process. And that's really what we're talking about here. And then, of course, that scopes out to how uh, New City Church as a community can be impacting other churches. And I think that it, it's been really interesting to think through that, uh, what that means tactically in light of this Exodus text of God. Because on one side, it's like, I think that New City Church uh, offers a witness that uh, we can be hopeful about justice and strive with joy and lament the heartache of humanity and and really seriously take on transformation. Like we can all be about the productive message. And also, like I think that what we're trying to do at New City Church is bring up some questions that don't have easy answers and that require people to step in and start taking some responsibility. Like how has the church been complicit in the empire over the past 400 years? And how must we repent from that in order for our souls to be whole? Um, the, just uh, earlier today, I was emailing with someone at New City Church who is taking on some really serious conversations with their family about Christianity. 
because the Christianity that they grew up with is different from the Christianity than uh, we're talking about here. And the difference seems to be its relationship to the empire. Um, and, and so, like, I pray that as a community, we might be people who are the kind of people who are going up on the mountains and having these rich, vibrant, faithful experiences with God who can be grounded in belovedness, transformed by God's faithfulness, and inspired by the mercy of God. And then, like Moses, mosey on down, mosey on down the mountain and be like, hey folks, God isn't going to save us from our mistakes if those mistakes require us to address them in order for us to be whole. Like God is a God of hopeful faithfulness. And ultimately, I believe through Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that every all the debates are finished and all the battles are won, that God wins, that love wins. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be held accountable and held responsible for the things that our society needs to deal with. Both of these things can live in tension at the same time. And ultimately, I think that the faith community is the vehicle that allows us to have the inhale breath and the exhale breath to be able to do that work. So thank you for leaning into community. Thank you for letting New City Church not just be a video program one hour on a Sunday, but to be this hub where we can be in conversation with each other, where we can challenge each other, where through groups and the, the um, Facebook community group and the Black Healing Circle and the programming that we're going to be announcing in the fall, which is going to be really exciting, we might be a people who lovingly respire with each other, breathing in and breathing out the love of God, so that we might at least transform other Christian churches and at most transform the world. If you're with me, type amen.